ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम ज्ञानचंद्रांतस्यानंजना शलाकाय Okay, so we are, it's amazing, huh? We actually finished a chapter last week. <laughs> and we're actually beginning fresh, a new chapter. And it's such a uh, interesting chapter. This and the next chapter are um, along the same lines of, of uh, Jada Bharata comparing the material world uh, to, to, or material life to uh, going into, as people would do in, in bygone days, merchants would go into a forest finding things that they could sell uh, on the market. And so this, uh, the next chapter is literally called The Forest of Material Enjoyment, and this one is further uh, further talks between King Rahugana and Jada Bharata. There's also some uh, interesting observations to make that there's there's some real parallels between Lord Rishabdev's teachings and Jada Bharata's. And of course that makes sense, right? Because Jada Bharata in a previous life was Bharata, was Bharat, and he remembered, remembers his previous lives. And so in if you go back to the fifth chapter of this canto, the 20th verse, Lord Rishabdev had told his 100 sons to follow Bharat uh, Maharaj, who is now Jad Bharat. And then we heard in the second verse of the fifth chapter about how, it's, how important it is to associate with great devotees. And then if you recall, the last chapter, verses 12 and 13, was all about develop, uh, associating with great devotees. And then the first verse of the fifth chapter, it was about finding your bliss, so to speak. And the 12th chapter, verse 11, also is about seeking uh, eternal happiness. And similarly, finally, in the beginning of the, in, also in that first verse of the fifth chapter, it talked basically about don't, it, don't become like animals. Don't try to enjoy the way, uh, sense gratification like animals do. And now this chapter, the force of material enjoyment, is very much that same theme that Rishabdev had told his hundred sons. So at the end of chapter 12, if you recall, it was kind of very positive. It talked about association with great uh, devotees as the path forward. And now we're going to hear, you, you could say, the negative. Um, and as we said, using the analogy that people would go into the forest to find things to sell and using that analogy of the, of the whole world as a for a forest of material enjoyment. And so why, why is Jed Bharata doing this? Well, it's clear, right? That he's, he's trying, he's helping Rishabh Dave become detached from the enjoyments and from this world in general. Okay. So that's a, a little background to where we are. And verse 1 says, Jadabharata, who had fully realized Brahman, continued, My dear King Rahugana, the living entity wanders on the path of the material world, which is very difficult for him to traverse, and he accepts repeated birth and death. Being captivated by the material world under the influence of the three modes of material nature, sattva, raja, 
and Tamaguna. The living entity can see only the three fruits of activities under the spell of material nature. These fruits are auspicious, inauspicious, and mixed. He thus becomes attached to religion, economic development, and sense gratification, and the monistic theory of liberation, merging with the supreme. He works very hard, day and night, exactly like a merchant who enters a forest to acquire some articles to sell for profit. However, he cannot really achieve happiness within this material world. And Prabhupada's purport is very wonderful. One can very easily understand how difficult and insurmountable the path of sense gratification is. So has anyone ever had that realization in your life? He says it's easy to understand. It's kind of interesting, his words. Easy and then three words later, difficult. One can very easily understand how difficult and insurmountable the path of sense gratification is. I, I looked up the word insurmountable. Too great to be overcome. So I don't know if anyone else has had that experience. It is a challenge to... Uh, we. If, we living entities in the material world have like a default setting, as they say in, in the computer biz, right? a default setting towards sense gratification in, in its various gross and subtle uh, fashion, um, manifestations. So it is quite a, uh, as Prabhupada is saying here, it's, it's, so we shouldn't be surprised if we're attracted to the material energy because it's pretty, it should be quite easy to understand that it's very difficult and almost insurmountable to overcome sense gratification. Not knowing what the path of sense... Now, now the other problem is, most people don't even know what sense gratification is. They, they're, they're like, you know, it's like going up to a fish in water and trying to explain to the fish what water is, right? It, they, they're just in it all the time. So many people don't understand that what sense gratification is because it's the only thing they know. So not knowing what the path of sense gratification is, one becomes implicated in the repetition of birth and accepts different types of bodies again and again. Thus one suffers a material existence. In this life, one may think he is very happy being an American, Indian, Englishman, or German. But in the next life, one has to accept another body among the 8,400,000 species. The next body has to be immediately accepted according to karma. One will be forced to accept a certain type of body and protesting will not help. You can't say, oh no, wait, 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 Krishna, I, I, I promise I'll be better. Just get rid of this body that I have right now. That is the stringent law of nature. Due to the living entity's ignorance of his eternal blissful life, he becomes attracted to material activities under the spell of maya. In this world, he can never experience happiness, yet he works very hard to do so. That, or this, is called Maya. So it's very difficult to overcome. Prabhupada tells the story of the Englishman who approached one of his godbrothers and said, can you make me a Brahmana? And his godbrother said, yes, you just have to follow these four regulated principles. And the, what did the Englishman say? Impossible. Impossible. Right. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> so we identify so it's it's so it's again it's second nature 
to identify with our body, you know, for um, where we were born, our upbringing, our favorite music, our favorite sports team, our favorite parts of the culture. And again, as we've said repeatedly, it's so temporary and Dudbard understands that implicitly because he remembers a short time ago he was a deer and a short time before that he was uh, the king of the, the world, practically speaking. So it's, um, um, it's tough because we're really, really in the bodily concept of life. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on this? Yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Andy. To point out, the Englishman was very nearly, he was 99% correct. It's very <laughs> nearly impossible. Yeah, right. <laughs> very good. <laughs> Yet, um, that Krishna has this, that, that verse is so interesting. Does anyone know what it is? Is it 714? I can't remember the, the number. Um, that it's it's like you said, the first half of the verse, Andy, is just what you said. It's Durachaja. It's really impossible. And then the second half of the verse is, oh, but it's very easy if Krishna helps you, basically, if you take shelter of Krishna. So there's that saying, you know, if you for one who remembers Lord Chaitanya, the most difficult thing can become easy. And for one who forgets Lord Chaitanya, the most the easiest thing can become very difficult. So, so I totally agree with you, Andy. And Krishna gives the the um, solution. Other thoughts? Hare Krishna, Prabhu. Um, yes, Divyananda. I, w- I was listening to Krishna Nandini Mataji yesterday. Uh-huh. I think this was a talk for, uh, she gave to Toronto devotees. Uh-huh. And the question, I don't know exactly the question, but to rephrase that question was, what is the uh, most challenging thing in our Krishna consciousness and uh, that you have con- encountered, like you think that we have uh, within our Krishna consciousness? So she said uh, something similar, which is her realization was like the basics, basics of thinking that we are not this body uh-huh. and uh, we are spirit soul. So because we base everything on the body and that's, we, we should be living by that principle because that's our basics of the philosophy. And that's, I'm, I'm paraphrasing what she said, but that's in, in summary, what she said is the, is the biggest challenge. Right. And this is spoken by a person who's getting ready to leave this world. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for that. Okay. Shall we continue? <clears throat> then we're going up to verse 7, I believe, but we'll talk a little bit about uh, some of the translations here, if I recall. So, verse number 2. O King Rahugana, in this forest of material existence, there are six very powerful plunders. Those are the five senses and the mind. When the conditioned soul enters the forest to acquire some material gain, the six plunderers misguide him. Thus the conditioned merchant does not know how to spend his money and it is taken away by these plunderers, like tigers, jackals, and other ferocious animals in a forest that are ready to take away a lamb from the custody of its protector. The wife and children enter the heart of the merchant and plunder him in so many ways. 
In this forest, there are dense bowers um, composed of thickets of bushes, grass, and creepers. In these bowers, the conditioned soul is always disturbed by cruelly biting mosquitoes and that they're compared to envious people. Sometimes he sees an imaginary place in the forest and sometimes he's bewildered by seeing a fleeting friend or ghost which appears like a meteor in the sky. My dear king, the merchant on the forest path of the material world, his intelligence victimized by home, wealth, relatives, and so forth, runs from one place to another in search of success. Sometimes his eyes are covered by the dust of a whirlwind, which is compared to lust. That is to say, in his lust, he is captivated by the beauty of his wife, especially during her menstrual period. Thus, his eyes are blinded, and he cannot see where to go or what he is doing. Wandering in the forest of the material world, the conditioned soul sometimes hears an invisible cricket making harsh sounds, and his ears become very much aggrieved. Sometimes his heart is pained by the sounds of owls, which are just like the harsh words of his enemies. Sometimes he takes shelter of a tree that has no fruits or flowers. He approaches such a tree due to his strong appetite, and thus he suffers. He would like to acquire water, but he is simply illusioned by a mirage, and he runs after it. So we don't always think of the world in this way, do we? <laughs> Sometimes the conditioned soul jumps into a shallow river, or being short of food grains, he goes to beg from people who are not at all charitable. Sometimes he suffers from the burning heat of household life, which is like a forest fire. And sometimes he becomes sad to have his wealth, which is as dear as life, plundered by kings in the name of heavy income taxes. Sometimes being defeated or plundered by a superior, powerful agent, a living entity loses all his possessions. He then becomes very morose and lamenting their loss. He sometimes becomes unconscious. Sometimes he imagines a great palatial city in which he desires to live happily with his family uh, members and riches. He thinks himself fully satisfied of this, uh, if this is possible. But such so-called happiness continues only for a moment. And the purport prophet writes, his happiness may last for a few years, but because the owner of the castle has to leave the castle at the time of death, Everything is eventually lost. This is the way of worldly transactions. Such happiness is described by Vidyapati as the happiness one derives upon seeing a drop of water in the desert. <laughs> wow. So I thought I'd read just a short passage from Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur. He, he comments on this whole verses three to seven. And uh, he says that the body and house are temporary, like the illusory city in the sky, Gandharva Puram. Yet the conditioned soul sees the city as if it were real and permanent. The dirt raised by the whirlwind blinding him is his own lust. Because he is blind, he doesn't realize that everything he does to satisfy that lust is witnessed by the devatas uh, of the directions. The merchant begs from simple persons who are compared to impious trees because even their shelter, their shadow, causes him to sin. 
At times he begs from uncharitable persons who, like mirages, offer him nothing. His jumping into a shallow river and breaking his bones against the rocks in the riverbed is compared to going to atheists and heretics whose philosophy causes him misery in this life and the next. Finding that his home gives him only misery, he becomes despondent and burns in a forest fire of grief. Discovering that his wealth, which is as dear as, to him as his life, has been stolen by kings who are compared to yakshas and rakshashas, he laments, Oh, how unfortunate I am. The attempt to fulfill his desires by having a wife and son's wealth and power is like entering a city that isn't really there, but exists only in his imagination. <laughs> And finally, at the end of the purport, in verse 7, Prabhupada writes that, Unfortunately, due to falling in contact with the material world, the living entity simply struggles for existence. Even if one becomes happy for a while, a very powerful enemy may plunder everything. There are many instances in which big businessmen suddenly became paupers in the street. Yet the nature of material existence is such that foolish people are attracted to the these transactions, and they forget the real business of self-realization. So it's, uh, I, did, I didn't get into the specifics, but before class I Googled, you know, people, billionaires who lost everything, and there's uh, quite, a, quite a list. And we also know, of course, I, one of the uh, thing that's in the news often is, is either sports figures or entertainment figures who go broke by any number of means, whether their friends take it all from them or they invest in some stupid thing or they just go out and buy you know, ridiculously expensive items and then you know don't take care of them properly, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's not Galba uh, speaking about, there's definitely reality. There are many instances in which big businessmen suddenly become paupers in the street. So, so far we are hearing this wonderful explanation of this wonderful world we live in. So any thoughts or comments up till now? We just went through six verses pretty quickly. Hare Krishna Prabhu, this is Jeeva Das. Yes, Prabhu. So, in uh, Bhagavad Gita, chapter 18, Lord Krishna talks about happiness in the three modes of material nature. Where the happiness and goodness is, uh, which awakens one to self-realization, you know, appears like poison in the beginning, nectar at the end. While that of passion appears to be nectar in the beginning, poison in the end, and ignorance is just poison. poison. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, more of passion and ignorance is identified. And one of the things I was saying, the wealth of a merchant is plundered away. So that wealth seems to represent time. Is that true understanding? Like, you know, all the abilities and things we have received from Krishna and the wealth is really the time factor that's taken our time, our lifespan is taken away? Well, I, that may be one way, one way to look at it. It also could mean just literally your, you know, your bank account. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yes, uh, that, that does, you know, you as uh, I think you brought this first up some time ago, from the second canto, that with every, I think it's second canto, with every rising and setting of the sun, another day is wasted, except for those who spend their time hearing and chanting about Krishna. 
Thank you. And so and I think that's something for us to meditate on because at least I, I don't know if you all are having this experience, but um, I've, only been, I've only been out once in the last three months. Uh, uh, my wife had a headache. We ran out of aspirin, so I went to Walgreens for like 10 seconds. And, and besides that, I've been to the temple a few times. Um, but besides that, I haven't gone anywhere. And the days just seem to merge into one day after another day after another day after another day. That's my experience. And yet, so it's all, it's imperceivable in one sense that I that I've in what you could say probably would sometimes say that I've died three months in the last three months because they all just kind of wow where do those three months go? It seems it was just yesterday that it was March first. Uh, so that verse can also apply to us if we're not good in our Krishna consciousness. Anything else? Any other words of wisdom or questions? Hare Krishna Prabhu, this is Jiva again. Uh, association is very important, just like we are hearing. So we are alone, but the Lord is so merciful and our spiritual master is so merciful, Shri Prabhupada is so merciful that we have wonderful association and devotees help us even if we sometimes get deluded. Hare Krishna. Yes, we have, by the mercy of Sriman Zoom Prabhu, we have uh, a lot of association. <laughs> yes. Okay, let us continue then. Unless, if you, anyone has any other points, just feel free to speak up. But we are going on until uh, 6.13. Hare Krishna, just I was fascinated by the wording in verse 2 which one which wording in verse 2 that uh the senses are the plunderers that uh steal away the gains uh made by fruit of activity uh i was thinking that the senses are the ones that get it get us into the fruit of activity and then they're the plunderers that take it away yeah right there they get they get us coming and going as the saying goes. Yeah, yeah, and that's why it's so important to engage our senses in the service of the master of the senses, Rishikena, Rishikesha, Sevanam Bhakti Uchate. So it's not just like a. I, I think for years I just thought of that as some kind of concept, <laughs> but when you think about it, it literally means taking the eyes and using them to look at Shastra or to see a picture of Krishna, taking the ears and using them to hear Krishna, you know, really literally, you know, uh, taking the senses and using them in Krishna's service. Thank you. That's a very solid... Yeah. It's like you can wake up in the morning and say, okay, Krishna, how am I going to use my nose in Krishna's service today? <laughs> Sometimes the merchant in the forest walk, wants to climb the hills and mountains, but due to insufficient footwear, his feet are pricked by small stone fragments and by thorns on the mountain. Being pricked by them, he becomes very aggrieved. Sometimes a person is very attached to his family. Uh, sometimes a person who is very attached to his family becomes overwhelmed with hunger, and due to his miserable condition, he becomes furious with his family members. And of course, you know, this is so long ago, and we know that today 
There are, unfortunately, so many instances of domestic violence um, and, and divorce and husband and wife fighting with each other every day and things like that. So um, it's not just some Shastric thing out there, but it's something that is very much experienced in the world. Text number nine. The conditioned soul in the material forest is sometimes swallowed by a python or crushed. At such a time, he is left lying in the forest like a dead person, devoid of consciousness and knowledge. Sometimes other poisonous snakes bite him. Being, and this, is, this can happen when you go into the forest, right? In the, especially in the old uh, times when all these creatures were there. Um, more prevalent, perhaps, than today. Being blind to his consciousness, he falls down into a dark well of hellish life with no hope of being rescued. Prabhupada just a beautiful sentence here. He says, similarly, the conditioned soul is actually sleeping on the lap of the illusory energy. So imagine that we are sometimes sleeping in Maya's lap. And, and then later he says, even in the higher planets, everyone is under the spell of the illusory energy. No one is really interested in the real values of life. And strong words from Prabhupada. And speaking of strong words, sometimes in order to have a little insignificant sex enjoyment, one searches after debauched women. In this attempt, one is insulted and chastised by the woman's kinsmen. This is like going to take honey from a beehive and being attacked by the bees. Sometimes after spending lots of money, one may acquire another woman for some extra sense enjoyment. Unfortunately, the object of sense enjoyment, the woman, is taken away or kidnapped by another debauchee. Sometimes the living entity is busy counteracting by the natural disturbance of freezing cold, scorching heat, strong wind, excessive rain, and so forth. When he is unable to do so, he becomes very unhappy. Sometimes he is cheated in business transactions one after another. In this way, by cheating, living entities create enmity among themselves. So we experienced this, I think, the last few days. We went from maybe a month ago even running the heat sometimes to now uh, having it really hot and humid uh, where we live, and we may be having to adjust to that. Oh, and I, I should have chose this uh, sentence, but it's so wonderful. The last sentence of the purport in verse 11. Of course, it is not possible for everyone to become Krishna conscious, but the Krishna conscious movement can create an exemplary society wherein there is no envy. So that is still obviously a work in progress, but something to um, aspire for. I think one result of being detached from this world and seeing it as a world of, of material enjoyment is at least a large part of our envy will go away because we're not putting value into the things of this world. So someone is more beautiful than us or rich, richer than us or more knowledgeable than us or whatever more than us. If, if, our, if, if, if our value system, if our um, identity, if our way of seeing the world is, is so tinted by a proper 
view, then what's there to be envious of? Any thoughts so far on the last few verses? You know, you mentioned that when you said the last sentence of the purport and of reading the Bhagavatam for quite a while, I've noticed that sometimes the last sentence of the purport is a real singer. Yes. Somehow or other. And, 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 and another thing is, um, you know, I used to be, I, I was much more envious in my younger days, you know, and I would see a, like a really big, beautiful house and want it, you know, and, and, and now I see it and I think, my goodness, how much work to clean all those windows. And I, <laughs> and I start thinking about how much work it would be to have one, and the envy just melts away. Well, it's interesting you say that, Henry. I, I, I go for a Joppa walk every day. And as you know, we live near the temple, and the temple has, uh, this area is very wealthy. So I saw an elderly man cleaning his, um, his swimming pool as I was taking my Joppa walk. And but the first thing that crossed my mind is very similar. I, I, boy, I really would not want to have a have a, a swimming pool. It's so much work to check the chlorine and to take out all the leaves that fall in it, and all for you know a few minutes of being able to swim around. <laughs> uh, just not worth it. <laughs> and what to speak that you know his taxes are probably higher than my rent. <laughs> Uh, so yes, I'm glad you brought that up. So we can, um, in a, even in a practical way, sometimes overcome envy. And then of course, there's the existential envy or envy of Krishna as the controller and the enjoyer. And that maybe takes some more deep work or in our context, focusing on hearing the holy name more attentively and with, with greater devotion so that we can really work on our deepest consciousness, our chitta, right? There's, there's the mind, there's the intelligence, there's the false ego, and then there's the chitta. Yeah, thank you for that, Henry. And we have His Grace Mahamantra Guru, who's the, he, he exudes the Mahamantra, the importance of it. <laughs> Any other points? Anyone been envious when you see a Maserati driving by lately? I don't. I think, oh my God, that the car insurance, the insurance on that thing must be like. <laughs> That's kind of like the opposite of envy, though. And I'm not trying to. They, not not about you, but I'm saying, if if one is thinking, wow, you know, <laughs> uh, that thing is so much trouble. I'm glad I'm not. You know, in that situation, um, I'm again. I'm not commenting. No, no, it's a good. It's a valid point. It's a valid point. It seems. It seems like. Um, we. You no, know, I'm. I. I'm glad I'm not suffering like that. Right, 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 right. That's a valid point. Uh, we're meant to be like Viraktir, you know, uh, indifferent, rather than rejecting this world, because we don't reject this world, we use it in Christian service, but we're indifferent. I, I, you, you know, I've used that example so many times, you just, it, sense gratification just shouldn't, like, make sense to us. It should be like a foreign language. It should just, it should, you know, you should just see it and kind of in a 
just like, why would anyone want to do that? <laughs> right? Yeah. Good. Thank you for that good gospel. Okay, and if there's nothing else, we'll continue. On the forest path of material existence, sometimes a person is without wealth and due to this does not have a proper home, bed, or sitting place and proper family enjoyment. He therefore goes to beg from others, but when his desires are not fulfilled by begging, he wants to borrow or steal the property of others. Thus, uh, he is insulted in society. And, you know, it seems that that's right. If you can't, if you don't have mon enough money to eat, you may ask others. If you can't do that, you may actually resort to borrowing or stealing. Right. Text 13, I think. Yeah, let me just check my notes. Yep, yeah. text 13. Due to monetary transactions, relationships become very strained and end in enmity. Sometimes the husband and wife walk on the path of material progress and to maintain their relationship, they work very hard. Sometimes due to scarcity of money or due to disease conditions, they are embarrassed and almost die. So speaking both from experience and talking to so many people, if you enter, be very wary before you enter into any kind of monetary relationship with another devotee. <laughs> It's just uh, not, not that you can't, but just do it carefully because you don't want to do something that would ruin a relationship. And money is, as we're hearing in this chapter a little later, we hear about women and money, women and money. And of course, by the way, there's a lot of ladies on this call and other places Prabhupada says that for for when, when women hear the word women, they should think man. <laughs> uh, man's a problem. <laughs> um, so that's just a something from experience about that. And and just money is it mentions husband and wife. Money can be a very straining topic in a marriage as well. And something that it's usually good for husband and wife to have a uh, dispassionate conversation about maybe even, of course, it's probably too late for most of us on the call, but before you get married. <laughs> um, but it, it can be, it's a very sensitive thing, um, and it should be tried to work it out in an amiable way, about how, how we save, how we spend, what are, what are the goals of our using money, how are we going to give in charity, what charity would we want to give to. Um, all of those things are things that should, probably should be uh, a good, healthy negotiation. And in these days, much more than in bygone days, because it says here, the husband and wife, uh, I mean, they work very hard. It wasn't always, at least in, uh, I don't know about India, but in the West, you know, probably until, Henry, what would it be, like the 50s or 60s, many families were single-income families that the women would stay home and take care of the children and in the house and the man would go out to work. Or maybe Andy might remember those days as well. <clears throat> I had to remember, I, uh, of course, we all know about the uh, Black Life, Black Lives Matter 
situation. And I, I you know, I did, I didn't think about it until um, like two days ago that we, when I, before my parents divorced, um, we had a, a maid, an African American woman who took care of the house and was, was our maid, uh, you know, and we weren't rich, but it was such a kind of a standard thing for living in the suburbs at that, in those days, this would be early sixties, um, to have a maid. And she really was part of the family. She went to my, she, years later, she went to my high school graduation and yeah. But anyway, just, just that's <laughs> off the subject, but, uh, I was just, just remembering that. So in, let me see if I had something about 13 that I wanted to know. So, so yeah, go ahead. Yes, Prabhu. Um, about you made a statement before that I'm not challenging, but just to clarify. Okay, this is your second. I'm not challenging, but just clarify. I mean, well, really, I don't. I'm I really don't doing great today. Want, no, go ahead, Gurudas. No problem. I don't want to say because I my you know. I no, it's not say a problem. Things that are that are inflammatory or not meant in the spirit that I'm trying. To, anyway. Um, so I'm trying to refocus on my point. Um, it, when devotees deal with other devotees uh, in a monetary situation, or, you know, perhaps in a business situation, um, what came to mind when you said that was, uh, is it possible to develop the attitude of renouncing the desire to get that money back as, as that uh, as that uh, uh, dealing is uh, happening, you know, I think that's it, it's the only way to, in my tiny uh, thinking, the only way to not be entangled. Well, in well I'm really happy you're bringing this up because you're right. I really didn't paint the full picture. Um, we're having some calls. To, we had some calls yesterday and today, and there's a group of devotees in North America that are meeting on this topic, which I'm going to tell you about in a minute, um, regularly now, starting next week. And that is, what can we do, especially COVID-19 can be a impetus, and what can we do to help our whole community uh, financially, especially sometimes when they lose their jobs and this and that, because if you look at other faith-based communities, Mormons, um, Amish, and uh, Jewish uh, communities, they often take care of one another, even economically. And they help those that are less fortunate, uh, well, it quotes, less fortunate uh, financially, or um, because we could, you could, you could argue, quoting, quoting Queen Quinty, that people are more fortunate when they don't have anything to be proud of, <laughs> you know, including money. But anyway, it's a very practical thing that we want to talk about. I'm not on that committee. I'm not a business-minded person. But devotees who have a business mind about what can we do so that when people of our community feel supported um, and, you know, whether, you know, and, and, and so in, in a lot of communities, they will do business with one another bartering and things like that. I, I don't know a lot about these, these other communities and how they do it, but they, they, they see it as part of their sacred duty to 
make sure that those who belong to their faith communities are are taken care of. So I guess what I was thinking of is, and you brought it up as an example, is things like speculative businesses that could really flop or um, or loans. At least have, as we say in conflict resolution, at least have the expectations very, very clear up front. But not to not do it, but to don't just go into a cell, well, so-and-so is a devotee, so therefore it must be fine. But rather, you know, like you would with any business arrangement, do it in such a way that uh, there is no misunderstanding, there are no misunderstandings, and relationships can be maintained. Is that a better? Yes. And great, if I, I'd love to uh, borrow money from someone who's not expecting it back. Well, actually, actually, uh, there's a practical note to this. Yes, Andy. If you're going to transfer money to someone, what I always do is I ask them if they want it as a gift or a loan. Now, if you're lucky, they'll say a loan because then if they don't pay it back, you never have to give them any more money. <laughs> Very good, Andy. <laughs> yes. But it is something that we, I think we need to work on. We still have kind of this entrepreneurial uh, rugged individualism in, in our society to some extent. And it would be nice if we can lend a helping hand. And I know that devotees do that. You know, when, when people put up things that they have to have an operation and they have a GoFundMe thing or something like that, devotees do chip in. But uh, this, this group of devotees in North America just want to see if there's a way to make things more systematic. Okay, let us carry on. Speaking of systematic, let's go to the next verse, uh, which I believe is 14. My dear king, is that right? On the forest path of material life, first a person is bereft of his father and mother. And after their death, he becomes attached to his newly born children. And this way he wanders on the path of material progress and is eventually embarrassed. Nonetheless, no one knows how to get out of this, even up to the moment of death. Excuse me. Prabhupada writes at the end of the, just as, as uh, Henry had mentioned, that there's usually some really powerful statements at the end of a purport. Unfortunately, people in this age avoid the association of liberated people, sadhu sangha, and continue on their stereotyped way of family life. Thus they are embarrassed by the exchange of money and sex. So I love I love this word stereotype. Oh, I don't love it. But I mean, I, I Prabhupada uses it, it just by chance or just by Christian's arrangement. I was asked to give a class. Uh, Ananda and I were, at, my wife and I were asked to give a class a few days ago in Gainesville. They have a virtual class every week at the Krishna house. And so it was Canto 3, chapter, Twenty-one, verse seventeen, and in the translation it says, "However, persons who have given up stereotyped—same word is here—worldly affairs and the beastly followers of these affairs, and who have taken shelter of the umbrella of your lotus feet by drinking the, the intoxicating nectar of your qualities and activities and discussions with one another, can be freed from the primary necessities of material life." And Prabhupada writes in the purport, he uses the word stereotyped again. And he says, after describing the necessity of married life, 
Cardamom Muni asserts that marriage and other social affairs are stereotype regulations for persons who are addicted to material sense enjoyment. So my understanding, stereotype in this sense, um, and it goes on to say the principles of animal life, eating, sleeping, mating, and defending, are actually necessities of the body that those who engage in transcendental Christian consciousness, giving up all the stereotype activities of this material world, are freed from social conventions. So social conventions, so the stereotype life in bygone ages, in, in, in more traditionally Vedic times, were, you know, okay, so you might be a brahmacharya for some years, you're going to get married, your duty is to take care of your family, you, you do some sacrifices, you give some charity, you lead, lead a pious life, you, you may uh, go to the heavenly planets the next life. It was very karmakandic is my understanding of what Prabhupada means by stereotype. You're, you're doing Vedic rituals, Vedic activities, but for the purpose ultimately of, you know, attain, um, attaining benefits in the material world, whether it's on the heavenly planets or here. Now, I would say, I, you know, we may have a stereotype. There's, of course, a number of strands of stereotypeness in, um, in modern day, like in America, especially for uh, the slightly, slightly more well-to-do uh, people. You have uh, like the unconscious, I would call them the unconscious years of high school. <laughs> you don't know what's going on. <laughs> right? And then you go off to college and there's no parents to keep you under, under their thumb at all. And it's the wild years of college. And you may have some very, liberal mindedness and trying to enjoy the world after you get out of college and start your career, but then you get married and that's okay. You can still be a little wild, but then children come, Oh, that changes everything. And now you're starting to see the world through a different lens altogether. And, and, you know, making sure that the, uh, all the electrical sockets are covered so the child doesn't hurt himself. And, you know, you want to go to a good school and, and who, you know, who, which kind of child are they playing with? Oh no, that one's bad from a bad family. And, Etc. 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, then, and then going up the corporate ladder and middle management, senior management, and then retirement. And that's kind of a stereotype life. And, of course, for people who have, uh, are less, uh, uh, don't have as much uh, karma for their money, their stereotype might be, you know, just working a, a, a job for their life and then finally getting enough money for retirement and in India it's a little different that you know there's there but there's a very stereotyped also right and Krishna consciousness is not stereotyped it may seem like we may do some of the, we may go through some of those same transitions as we age but it's totally different because our aim is Om Tad Vishnu our, our aim is Vishnu's lotus feet Krishna's lotus feet our aim is bhakti our aim is devotion um uh, I was just listening to a lecture, and even if our aim is bliss, how do you get bliss? Where do you get bliss from? Bliss comes from love, and love is meant for Krishna. Right? Uh, I remember, like the first uh, birthday card I got after we got married. My wife uh, writes in it, "Love is for Krishna." So, okay, got it. Uh, so. <coughs> So we're, we're so lucky we don't live this kind of hackneyed life and just, you know, like lemons, just following everybody else and following the, the, the natural course. We have this ecstatic 
process again that might seem to mimic but it's 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 totally different because of the uh the absorption in bhakti and then the and the compassionate mood and so it's 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 not the externals it's it's what's going on inside that makes it so different so i love i love the Prabhupada's use of this word stereotype in in and using it you know in a negative connotation because like you know who just wants to live the same old same old blah life of everybody else so some thoughts on stereotypes Hare Krishna Prabhu this is Jeeva again yes Bu. Uh, so every sentence in the purport is so thought-provoking as Srila Prabhupada writes that no one in this material world uh, accepts the process of knowledge and renunciation which end in bhakti yoga bhakti. Yeah. just looking at this I can kind of like I was thinking you know people who are engaged in karmakanda they are looking at knowledge to acquire, like Falgu Vairag. They, they are like actually trying to acquire more items. And then Falgu Vairag is where they are rejecting, not knowing where it should be properly used. Mayavadis, they are using first renunciation because they are frustrated with this material world and then going to knowledge. But in Bhakti Yoga, we, with faith come, Lord Krishna gives us knowledge so that we can be unattached and in renounced mood we engage in serving Lord Krishna with love and devotion. So such a big variation, gulf of variation, even these different categories, the mindset. Yeah. Thank you. And one of my favorite lines from this purport is uh, that uh, free from the embarrassment of material life, you know, just doing what, just doing what everybody else does is embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It's, you know, that Robert Frost poem, right? That, uh, uh, two roads convert. Two roads. What is it? Converge in a. What is it? Two paths converge in a road. Diverge. Diverge. Yeah, diverge. And I took the one less. Less traveled. Less traveled, and that made all the difference. So we're taking the road less traveled. We're taking uh, Mahajana Yena Katasapanta. We're taking the road of the Mahajans. Any other thoughts on this? So that was verse 14. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes. Yes. I can tell by your accent. (laughs) Chinese accent. (laughs) Okay. So uh, I was thinking about this, uh, not in French, the stereotype uh, uh, expression you you have been emphasizing. Um, I think um, what I understood of this word stereotype way of family life is like um, you like basically we are following the we're driven by the status quo just for the sake of following status quo. Right. That's right. Perfect. Perfect description. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like it's kind of like a Niamadraha, isn't it? Kind of like that. Uh, yeah. 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 And yeah. uh, also in this connection, I was, re- I was thinking about a verse in chapter 3, Gita. Well, Krishna said that a self-realized man has no purpose to fulfill in the discharge of his prescribed mm. duties, nor has he any reason not to perform such work, nor has he any need to depend on any other foreign being. Wonderful. Yes. Yeah, Anything else on the that's what I'm thinking about. Okay, very, thank you. Very nice. Yeah, and 
it was hard for us, it was hard for me, I'm sure for some of you, to give up this. It actually wasn't so hard for me to give up the stereotype life because I was so young. But it was hard for my mother to accept it. And it was like 19 or something, 18 or 19, you know, yeah. and and it was very hard for her to accept that I wasn't going to go on to law school and wasn't going to, you know, marry a nice Jewish girl from Long Island or, you know, or whatever, <laughs> you know, the, the stereotype. And I'm sure for some of you. Um, and and that's, was, that's the thing with parents. They, they invested so much of their lives in this, in the accepting it, and they expect their children to do the same. Yes, yes, and and that's also a challenge for devotee parents to guide their children, encourage them in Krishna consciousness, but also understand they have their own path in life. Of course, not when they're young, but you know, as they get older, they have to make their own decisions. And they may not always be the decisions that we wanted for them or that Krishna wants for them, but, you know, they, they, so we do our best, um, but we don't, but we don't try not to do what our parents did. After everything I've done for you, this is what I get in return. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's a standard thing. <laughs> but, uh, Okay, so let's, should we did, continue? Did your parents call the deprogrammers? My mother, my mother is such a Jewish person at that time. Well, I shouldn't make fun of Jewish people, but she was, uh, but she fit, she, let me change that. She fit the stereotype when she called up the deprogrammers and they said it was $10,000. She said, oh, that's too much. <laughs> but, uh, but at the same time, she lived, she moved to Vrindavan and left this world in Vrindavan. So she had a, <laughs> she, uh, she Did she had try a, to bargain with him? <laughs> yeah, right. She could have bargained with him. Yeah. She had a one one eighty. <laughs> I mean, I can understand if you look at it from her point of view. That what you know, the, so especially in the seventies, it was just around the time of Jonestown, when you know this terrible, literally a real cult. Uh, so many people were murdered in Guyana, or killed in Guyana. Um, that was going on and, and, you know, a shaved head and a saffron robe and, and, you know, dropping out of college. And, you know, it was a lot, but, uh, all, all's well that ends well. I'm sure she has a very good destination having lived in Vrindavan and left this world in Vrindavan. Okay, let's continue then on to text 15. Well, just one thing I, I thought I would read. This is from a lecture Prabhupada gave in New York. Since so many of these verses are about sex, um, Prabhupada says, As sure as death, no one can say that I can avoid death. That's a fact. So one who actually understands that I'll have to die People do not understand. Everyone thinks that he will not die. He'll not die. That is called Maya. He's seeing that everyone is dying. Still, he's thinking that I shall not die or I shall live for millions of years. There is no question of death, but it is a fact. You may be advanced in science, but death is sure. One who is actually intelligent, he should know that he will die. But the karmis, the rascals, 
he knows that he will die. He, now, he knows also that he will die, at least theoretically accepts, but he wants to enjoy until death to the fullest extent. He knows that, uh, that will be, that he will die. So, so long my senses are there, let me gratify. Now, yesterday, when I went to the bank, there was a cinema signboard. What, what is that? Karandar Das. Is there sex after death? Prabhupada, yes, you see? Because this material life means sex, so they are seeking sex after death also. Is there sex after death, they inquire? If there is sex after death, then they are not fearful of death. There is a story about one man was drinking. So drinking in India is a great sin. So his friend advised him, you are drinking, you'll go to hell. So he said, oh, my father also drinks. So he said, your father will also go to hell. Oh, my brother also drinks. Oh, he will also go to hell. In this way, he continued to say, my father, my brother, my sister, my this, my that. And he was replying, yes, he will also go to hell. Oh, well, it sounds like hell is heaven because we're all drinking here and drinking there together. So how is it hell? That is heaven. Similarly, this signboard is like that. If sex is there after death, and that is not death, that is life. In the next life, also, cats and dogs, you will have sex life. <laughs> guru, one of the meanings of guru is to be heavy. And so Prabhupada sometimes would say the, the reveal, expose the, the, the stark nature of the material world. And sometimes in a somewhat amusing way, like the story about, well, sounds like great, we'll, be, we'll all be drinking together in hell. <laughs> okay, text 15. There were and are many political and social heroes who have conquered enemies of equal power, yet due to their ignorance in believing that the land is theirs, they fight one another and lay down their lives in battle. They are not able to take up the spiritual path accepted by those in the renounced order. Although they are big heroes and political leaders, they cannot take to the path of spiritual realization. Sometimes a living entity in the forest of material existence takes shelter of creepers and desires to hear the chirping of the birds in those creepers. Being afraid of roaring lions in the forest, he makes friends with cranes, herons, and vultures. Text 17. Being cheated by them, the living entity in the forest of the material world tries to give up the association of these so-called yogis, swamis, and incarnations and comes to the association of real devotees. But due to misfortune, he cannot follow the instructions of the spiritual master or advanced devotees. Therefore, he gives up their company and again returns to the association of monkeys who are simply interested in sense gratification and women. He derives satisfaction by associating with sense gratifiers and enjoying sex and intoxications. In this way, he spoils his life simply by indulging in sex and intoxication. Looking into the faces of other sense gratifiers, he becomes forgetful and thus approaches death. And Prabhupada writes, Sometimes so-called spiritualists seeking a spiritual life come to associate with Krishna conscious devotees, but they cannot execute the regulated principles or follow the path of spiritual life. Consequently, they leave the association of devotees and go to the association to associate with sense gratifiers who are compared to monkeys. Again, they revive their sex and intoxication and looking at one another's faces, they are thus satisfied. In this way, they pass their lives up to the point 
of 10. So mm, a lot of things to be said about this. But basically, if, if someone is a devotee or aspiring to be a devotee, and they have challenges following some of the rules and regulations of spiritual life, they basically have two choices. They can be humble and continuously try to improve, or they can just, you know, leave the association. I guess there's more than two choices. They can leave the association of devotees, or they can just, you know, um, hide their inertis, one could say, and not, and, or, or not just hide them, but uh, not try to overcome the challenges that they're facing. So often instead of developing humility, and we've seen this in the history of ISKCON, some people will become critical of, of even the spiritual master, uh, Prabhupada, or the process, and maybe try to find some other uh, group somewhere, which is up to them, but who have lower values or lesser standards. And, you know, it's, I mean, every group has its faults. ISKCON is not without faults. But choosing to criticize and leave is, is often, let's be frank, it can often be a convenient way to cover our own shortcomings and failures. So the path of humility is described um, in this famous verse in the 11th canto, <clears throat> chapter 20, verses 27 and 28. We've quoted this before. Having awakened faith in the narrations of my glories, being disgusted with all material activities, knowing that all sense gratification leads to misery, but still being unable to renounce all sense enjoyment, my devotee should remain happy and worship me with great faith and conviction. Even though he is sometimes engaged in sense enjoyment, my devotee knows that all sense gratification leads to a miserable result, and he sincerely repents such act activities. I'm going to read a little of the purport because um, it's so sweet. The beginning stage of pure devotional service is described here. A sincere devotee has practically seen that material activities lead only to sense gratification and sense gratification leads only to misery. Thus the devotee's sincere desire is to engage 24 hours a day in the loving service of Lord Krishna without any personal motivation. The devotee sincerely desires to be established in his constitutional position as an eternal servitor and he prays to the Lord to elevate him to this exalted position. The word anishvara indicate that because of one's past sinful activities and bad habits, one may not immediately be able to completely extinguish the enjoying spirit. The Lord here encourages such a devotee not to be overly depressed or morose, but to remain enthusiastic and to go on with his loving service. And then I don't know if any of you saw that uh, His Grace Shona Karishi Prabhu was interviewed um, the other day, um, you know, there's this GBC strategic planning team that goes every day a different interview. And he was talking about, they actually asked him about his wife because his wife uh, committed suicide, uh, a very wonderful devotee, but she was under so much terrible physical pain for years and years and years. Prior to her physical pain, she had made so many people devotees. She's a powerful um, touchstone of Krishna consciousness. Uh, and he was speaking very openly about about the situation, just saying how, you know, depression is 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 a you know we don't we shouldn't just criticize people for if they if they're 
struggling with something like depression. Prabhupada says in purport that the mental diseases in Kali Yuga are worse than the physical ones. Um, but show compassion and, and, and empathy. And also here, if we are having some struggles or if we know someone who's having some struggles, we encourage them to just keep, keep with the process. And as the purport says, not get overly depressed or morose, but just show enthusiasm for bhakti and gradually the ability to, again, follow will, will be granted to that person. Um, but it could be a trick of the illusory energy that we get, we get, we beat ourselves up too much. Of course, if we don't beat ourselves up at all, then we think, ah, it doesn't matter. It's all good. Right? So it's a, it's a balance. And therefore, it's always really helpful when we're struggling. And it may not be with the four principles. It may be just whatever, financially or relationship wise. It's, it's to find a trusting devotee or a group of devotees that we can talk to, reveal our mind to and uh, get some path forward that will give us enthusiasm to keep on serving Krishna. So some thoughts on this. You may, you, well, everyone here may know someone who's struggling with depression. Not, uh, it's not unusual. It's something to be, you know, you, you break your arm and you go to a doctor, you have some, you know, uh, mental issues, you try to find some help in, in that way. Since the mind is so powerful, it seems rare that a depressed person will allow himself or herself to be helped. And be. What, what, I, what I mean is, um, the mind may decide, oh, no one, you know, I'm beyond help or no one can help me. And so therefore I'm not, you know, uh, I'm just going to cut myself off from everything. Yeah. And that could be one of Maya's tricks, isn't it? Instead of taking shelter of Krishna and taking shelter of Krishna's devotees. Yeah, I just, I just Googled this. In the United States, almost half of adults, 46.4%, will experience a mental illness during their lifetime. Is depression considered mental illness? I'm not sure. I, I'm, uh, I don't know that uh, we'd have to, someone else, I'm sure it's, a, it's certainly part of it. But, um, but the idea here, of course, I, I, not only about mental illness, but just to have faith, not only faith, but just emphasize the positive, absorb ourselves in Krishna consciousness, pray to Krishna, and in that enthusiasm Krishna will see and, and he'll help us. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes. Hare Krishna, uh, Anandarupa. So, Prabhu, uh, very nice points. Um, very, I mean, very much I see the uh, significance of this solution to, um, you know, good mental health or finding a solution to uh, challenges in, uh, you know, in a following bhakti. Uh, <clears throat> often we are in a household, as a householder, we may be in a household where few of us may be sincerely trying to follow 
uh, this path and others may not be favorable and often you know so well um, to certain degree outside the household from maybe other relations and friends we can keep a distance and focus on the practice but if you are in the same household it becomes a really big challenge that to if there are grown ups and so i think it is basically also anarthas in our heart which prevent us from getting help even after having this knowledge where the real help is we we are hesitating we hesitate to get some help i was wondering sonak sonak rishi prabhu's wife who you just mentioned yes such a elevated soul and she she took that step and i'm not aware of that i'm just hearing first time what you mentioned and that made me wonder i mean why why she could not have got some help or whatever her situation was yeah i think in her case it was just the acute pain year after year after year it was just you know like i i don't know what you're like but if i have a headache i'm like totally bummed out <laughs> or yeah, you know or or, or or fever but if i could just imagine being like chronically ill for years it must have been very very challenging i knew i knew someone else that killed herself uh she had a chronic spinal problem and she just had to go in for it was extreme pain all the time and every few years she had to go in they had to open her up and try to fix it again and that's all her life had been and finally she just couldn't stand it anymore yeah so challenge just for book you had it shishiru you had a question yeah but yeah. i'm the big evidence for the mental sickness because after coming the krishna consciousness my wife is fully saved now acha yeah she said great evidence last 8 years she was in depression so the, all the mercy of lord krishna and and then being with devotees and practicing krishna consciousness helped her yes that's wonderful there you go proof it, it can it can work anything else oh and uh david writes symptoms of depression can indeed uh lead to uh wait symptoms of lead to mental health can or anyway they're part of mental illness yes thank you I didn't see your previous point. Yes, Prabhuji, money is all power! Exclamation point. <laughs> Prabhuji, that time you are the, uh, in uh, um, text thirteen. You are discussing about the money. So acha, acha, acha. Yes. I text you just for yes, attention, yes. Prabhuji. Right. Thank you. Thank you for that. Any other thoughts on this? Oh well, I don't know. Was your Ananda Rupa? Was that a question that you were asking? yeah kind of actually i was coming to the question that we know that uh, i mean from scriptures that when one commits suicide uh, killing this human body they lose the opportunity for future births uh, for getting a gross body actually right so they enter into ghostly state something like that i think it's right. coming up yeah. in fifth canto fifth canto so near the yeah, yeah. so uh, so that made me wonder i mean she was such a fine devotee exalted devotee and she was in so much pain that knowing all that still maybe she took that yeah i don't, i don't know all the details although shown because one of my closest friends um but you know that's really between her and krishna obviously <laughs> there's that statement but then there's you know the statement that uh you know you take prashadam once and you you know nehabi kramana so steep but you have a you know the details swapam up yes it's harmless yet right they want to buy it that even 
right? Even a little, what to speak of making so many people devotees, right? I mean, well, that's probably the, the greatest, one of the greatest things you can do in this world, right? Help other people come to Krishna consciousness. So just like one person she made that I think many of us know is Gopi Manjari Mataji, who runs the uh, Bhakti Yoga DC um, yoga studio. And, and she's also a great preacher. She just took a whole group on Harinam yesterday to the protests. So she, and she became a Keshva Mataji, made her a devotee. I brought her to Krishna consciousness. And there's many, many people like that. So that may be for the non-devotees uh, or who knows? It's, it's really between her and Krishna. But so another quick question I have. <clears throat> so last few verses, whatever we have been reading about, like in householder life, how what we should be careful of or running after money and sex, I mean, general... Uh, proclivity of uh, men and women <clears throat> due to lack of uh, Krishna consciousness. All this knowledge, you know, now we are reading in Bhagavatam and Prabhupada's lectures and all this, but before that, we were also not aware of it. Neither did anyone talk to us about it. So I'm, I want to ask, should we just leave this knowledge for new devotees to read and figure it out themselves or at some point we should share this with them already or how, what is your um, suggestion about this? Oh, we, we, we don't hide the Bhagavatam. We have a person here on this uh, call today who's dedicated his whole life to giving people who don't, aren't familiar with Krishna consciousness the Bhagavatam. <laughs> Uh, and several of us, several of the people on this call. So, but, but, you know, we do, especially in the early stages of someone taking to Krishna consciousness, we do make sure that what we're speaking about is relevant, right? Just like, you know, a new person comes to the temple, we don't start talking to them about the Rasa Lila, right? Or, or even, um, you know, probably the first thing of, we probably, I don't know, first thing we wouldn't talk about is the Daksha Yagya and he lost his head and got the head of a, you know what I mean? <laughs> Usually wouldn't be the very first things. Uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to think for myself if, you know, when I was first becoming a devotee, if somebody would have said, well, yeah, you know, Daksha lost his head, but he got the head of a goat and, 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 uh, and Indra, you know, he had eyes, all, you know, all these things. And, and the Varaha comes out of the nose of Brahma. You know, this probably wouldn't be the first things that I would uh, speak to someone about. So we do tailor, uh, but we're not ashamed of it. We, we, we should be able to, a good preacher of Krishna consciousness should be able to uh, uh, present even the more um, otherworldly aspects of our philosophy in a way that people can understand them okay. yeah but it's it, but we do we should learn that because we shouldn't be if somebody goes up to us and says what is this thing about uh um you know what was it how many how many uh, cows were uh given in charity in the 10th canto you know or things like that or how many chokidars there were you know 10 billion how is that possible and we should be able to uh, explain that then you might need to read some of Sadaputta Prabhu's books to be able to uh, explain that nicely.
Shall we go on? Or another line of advice that I've often heard is just keep chanting and hearing. It'll be <laughs> it'll be revealed. Okay. Yes, not everyone's. Yeah, that might work for some. Um, yeah. Okay, so let so we'll carry on, and we are on nine, eighteen, right? When the living entity becomes. Let me just see if I had anything else on 17 that I want to say. No, I don't think so. When the living entity becomes exactly like a monkey jumping from one branch to another, he remains in the tree of household life without any profit but sex. Thus he is kicked by his wife just like the she asked. Mine says he asked. Which, does it say she asked in your book? He asked. Okay. Unable to gain release, he remains helpless in that position. Sometimes he falls victim to an incurable disease, which is like falling into a mountain cave. He becomes afraid of death, which is like the elephant in the back of that cave. And he remains stranded, grasping at the twigs and branches of a creeper. And we know that uh, probably all of us know people uh, who have gotten the news of having an incurable disease. And it really, it makes, uh, uh, it's a challenging time, challenging time. Um, and, or we could just imagine if I, we got news today that we have an incurable disease and what would, what would be racing through our minds and things. It's, it's a, it's one of the huge challenges of the material world. O killer of enemies, Maharaj Rahugana. If the conditioned soul somehow or other gets out of his dangerous position, he again returns to his home to enjoy sex life, for that is the way of attachment. Thus, under the spell of the Lord's... In other words, if he got out of the forest in one piece. <laughs> Thus, under the spell of the Lord's material energy, he continues to loiter in the forest of material existence. He does not discover his real interest, even at the point of death. My dear King Ruhugana, you are also a victim of the external energy. So he's getting to the point here. Being situated on the path of attraction to material pleasure. So that you may become an equal, so that, so that you may become an equal friend to all living entities. I now advise you to give up your kingly position and the rod by which you punish criminals. Give up attraction to the sense objects and take up the sword of knowledge sharpened by devotional service. Then you will be able to cut the hard knot of illusory energy and cross to the other side of the ocean of nescience. And then the next verse, King Rahugana said, this birth as a human being is the best of all. Even birth among the demigods and the heavenly planets is not as glorious as birth as a human being on this earth. What is the use of the exalted position of a demigod? In the heavenly planets, due to profuse material comforts, there's no possibility of associating with devotees. And Prabhupada writes that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu therefore advised those who are actually serious about returning back to Godhead to give up money and women in order to be fit to enter the kingdom of God. Money and women can be fully utilized in the service of the Lord. And one who can utilize them in this way can become freed from material bondage. So that was verse 21. Um but it is a warning that things like that, as uh, money and, and the opposite sex, we have to uh, deal with 
appropriately. They're very, very powerful energies. And if we can dovetail them in Krishna's service, then that is most wonderful. I'm going to read 22. Uh, It is not at all wonderful that simply by being covered by the dust of your lotus feet, one immediately attains the platform of pure devotional service to Adhoksaja, which is not available even to great demigods like Brahma. By associating with you just for a moment, I am now freed from all argument, false prestige, and lack of discrimination, which are the roots of entanglement in the material world. Now I am free from all these problems. And I thought I'd read to you in the... You know, Jiva Goswami, he wrote these satsandarvas, which um, present the Krishna conscious philosophy very systematically. So he actually cites verse 20 to 22 in in one of those six sandarvas, which is the bhakti sandarva. And he does that to illustrate that Bhagavan realization is the goal of the Bhagavatam's teachings and that bhakti is the means to achieve it. So through these three verses, uh, Jiva Goswami is trying to show that devotees, even when teaching Gyan, right, which is what Judd Bharat was doing, basically, they have no other goal other than Bhakti and Bhagavan. And therefore, he's, he indicates that the Gyan Bharat, Judd Bharat spoke is also useful in the service of Bhakti. Any questions on it or comments? Okay, so now, verse 23, we have five minutes left. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the great personalities, whether they walk on the earth's surface as children, young boys, avadutas, or great brahmanas. Even if they are hidden under different guises, I offer my respects to all of them. By their mercy, may there be good fortune in the royal dynasties that are always offending them. So, Raghunandan Prabhu, uh, I'm putting you on the spot here. Would you like to express a little bit about this verse was kind of the culmination of some of your realization that you wrote me in an email about King Rahugana's journey in life? Yes, Prabhu. Uh, so Rahugana, like he was uh, just attached to his position as a king and he was almost like proud of that position. And when he was interacting with Jadaparat and chastising him for his uh, not carrying the palanquin and not even being fit to do that menial task, and then when he realizes the response that's coming from Jadaparat is not just like a normal uh, human being's response, but a person in higher consciousness, he gets down immediately from the palanquin and then offers, falls down at his feet and offers his obeisances to him. And he starts speaking specific verses in that chapter itself, like the specific instances of his making mistakes or offenses to Jada Bharat. And he takes responsibility of them and he seeks forgiveness. Mm. So forgiveness has two aspects. One is seeking forgiveness. If I have some, done something wrong, and also to forgive uh, others if somebody has uh, done something which is not correct towards me. Mm-hmm. So there are two aspects to forgiveness. And in this aspect, Rahugana is taking responsibility for his actions and says, I want to seek forgiveness from you. 
and then jada bharat starts speaking further spiritual knowledge and now we come to this verse where he is ready to offer respectful obeisances unto all the great personalities he is like totally free of that uh, false conception of life that he was indulging in mm. thank you thank you so any thoughts on that it was a lifetime of achievement in just like a short period there <laughs> yeah that's right we should be so lucky right well andy's point is a very good one it seems like in just i mean in the short span of a few verses maharaj ruhuna has achieved you know uh, enlightenment and risen to the highest uh, conclusions of bhakti um can we take it that this is uh paramatma inspiring him we could take it like that we could also take it that he probably had some sukriti prior some bhakti sukriti previously since it was such a and also that he just had krishna's divine mercy to have association you know i, I remember one time a devotee asked uh, how do you know when you're getting krishna's mercy and the answer was you get the association of his devotees so so we have come to the hour we have one verse left but that was on purpose not on purpose but there's a lot to be spoken about in that last uh verse so i will send out the uh homework for next week and this is amazing we pretty much finished the whole chapter again in one class so we're on a roll and uh next chapter is similar uh points being made and then we start getting into the structure of the universe nice light reading yeah <laughs> Well, I hope you all have a wonderful uh Krishna conscious week. And um we will see you same time, same place next week. Hari Krishna. Hari Krishna Shila Prabhupada Ji Jai. Jai.